You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Thank you all for joining us. We are here broadcasting, or I should say recording on a Tuesday night, following the Arizona Cardinals 27-21 win over the New York Giants. We'll be here to talk all about it. The Cardinals now are winners of three in a row for the first time since that magical 2015 season. Here to join me to talk all about it. Uh, my name is Blake Murphy on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. My co-host sitting here on the other end of my computer screen. For you, it'd be the uh, other end of your headphones or speakers, wherever you're listening. The Venerable John Venerable, also known as Johnny Touchdown. John, how are you doing this evening following another third in a row Cardinals win? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great, Blake, if you can believe it. They have rattled off more wins under Cliff Kingsbury than I guess they've matched Steve Wilkes' entire tenure as the Arizona Cardinal head coach. <laughs> uh, Kingsbury did it in less than half a season with essentially the same cast of offensive players, uh, minus Christian Kirk, minus David Johnson, to secure what would be his third in a row. And at the end of the day, Blake, you know, we can get excited about a lot of things with this team right now, but I think Kingsbury is the most exciting aspect, um, given that they have already won two East Coast start time games this year. The first time since they've moved to Arizona, they've won consecutive East Coast time zone wins. Could have made it three in a row with the with a narrow loss to Baltimore. But Blake, I, I couldn't be more impressed with the team right now the moxie that they're showing, the composure that they're showing, and it all starts at the top with Kingsbury. Yeah, uh, Jess Root, who is part of kind of our sister podcast with the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, um, he had an awesome stat where because Cliff Kingsbury has a tie on his record through the first seven games as head coach, he is ahead of the curve of everyone else. Steve Wilkes, as we know, went one and six. Um, like very similar to Cliff Kingsbury, they did not have their first victory up until I believe it was week five. But unlike Steve Wilkes, Kingsbury was able to knock out two in a row after that. Bruce Arian started his tenure three and four, ended up going on to finish with a 10 and six season. Uh, Kenny Wisenhunt started three and four. That would be that 2007 year that flipped flop between Matt Leinart and Kurt Warner. And the previous two coaches, the DGs, Denny Green and Dave McGinnis, both started at 2-5. and five. And now the point that he makes that's really interesting is if you take a look at that second year, um, Arians and Wiz had the Cardinals in the playoffs. Both of them were, I believe, a wild card was how Arians was and followed up by the division winner a year later. And Ken Wisenhunt had two division titles finishing at 9-7 and seven and 10-6. and six. So what we're looking at, John, overall is a team that – has kind of turned the corner from the first four games of the year after the one moral victory and a tie, three difficult losses, including that brutal Carolina loss, and followed by a Seahawks team that came into town and the Cardinals just did not look like they were on the same level or ready to compete. You've had three easier opponents. We talked about how it would be best if you could get two of the next three. At least you got to get one of the next three. Alarm bells would be going off if you dropped all three. Instead, they go out. And they end up pretty handily, I should say, being able to beat the Falcons, 
Uh, after they beat the Bengals, they let both teams come back into the game a little late. There was a little bit of room for that with the Giants that caused some concern for the most part, but ultimately they were able to put it away when it counts. And what I was impressed with this game was the Cardinals didn't let the Giants get back into the game too much too late, and they effectively were able to manage it despite the fact that Kyler Murray had, at least statistically, the what would look like the worst game of his career thus far. What were some of your thoughts on the Giants game overall as we dig into it, John? Yeah, I think it starts with the run game for the Cardinals that's really taken off during this three-game winning streak. The Cardinals are averaging over five yards per carry over the course of the last three weeks. They weren't as successful this week in terms of that average because they were uh, got semi-conservative toward the end of the game, and, and we'll talk about that. But I, I just think that the play of Chase Edmonds, the the scheme and the play calling of Cliff Kingsbury, and then just the, Kyler Murray's inability to – or I should say ability to um, not turn the ball over. Uh, he's gone, of course, over this three-game win streak, uh, 3-0 without a turnover. Um, and, yes, he didn't throw or run for a touchdown for the first time in his, in his professional career. But, you know, at the end of the day, he, this season to me, Blake, with, with Kyler Murray, just reminds me so much of those early seasons from his, you know, most consistent – comparison and, and that being Russell Wilson those early mm. seasons for Seattle they leaned on the running game and then they leaned on Russell's inability to not turn the ball over during Russell Wilson's rookie season um, he's going to get Kyler on a, a couple different statistics but not by much he's Kyler's on pace right now for 16 passing touchdowns Russell had 26 but he also had 10 picks Kyler only has four or excuse me, I think three, maybe I can't remember. It's a three yeah, or four, it's, but it's, it's four, but there's zero fumbles, which is right. Else zero fumbles lost. Well. Uh, Russell lost six or excuse me, fumbled six times as a rookie lost three, but the staggering number and this, I think comes with the, the course of time is um, Russell Wilson passed for just a little over 3000 yards. I think we all uh, agree. Murray's going to eclipse that. And then some probably over 4,000 yards passing, but Murray's ability, yes, he he was a, a default game manager based on the weather conditions. I think had it not been raining consistently throughout this game, Blake, they would have put up 30-plus points easily. I think the second half took their foot off the gas after their final touchdown in the third quarter and, and really just tried to coast on their defense to make some plays, and, and boy, did they ever. Um, but, you know, Kyler, very methodical, 14-21, um, 104 yards and just five yards per, per average attempt. But again, um, making throws when he needed to, taking off when he needed to. And then, of course, you know, what more can we say about the maturation of second year running back Chase Edmonds out of Fordham, who gets the call for uh, a hobbled David Johnson, who got the first carry of the game for two yards. You know, he tapped out. He said, I'm not right. Mm -hmm. And Chase responds with 27 carries for 126 yards and three touchdowns, all of which went 20 plus yards or more. That's the first time that's happened um, for the Arizona Cardinals, I think, in 20 plus years. I think the last player to do it was Otis Anderson. And mm -hmm. that is more than David Johnson's had in his entire career. He has not right. had three plus touchdowns of 20 plus yards or more running. Now, receiving is another story, but running. Um, he has not. And Edmonds has just he's taken this offense to a different level. His ability to move laterally from side to side, his explosiveness, his ability. I think this is underrated to get small 
behind what has been a rejuvenated Arizona Cardinal offensive line, especially when you talk about the interior offensive line and the holes they're producing. This is the best Justin Pugh has looked since he signed his lengthy contract with the Arizona Cardinals. J.R. Sweezy is playing well. That unit only gives up two more sacks on Sunday, one of which was probably on Murray. So I, I think, yes, the defense was outstanding, and they played their most complete game of the season, but the offense allowed them to pin their ears back and rush the passer consistently because they held that lead. They jumped out again to a huge first quarter um, lead, just like they did against Atlanta. They are, they are starting fast, and that is the key for this team. We saw Blake so many times before, not only last year, but even this year against Carolina, against Seattle, um, against Baltimore, where you give up early touchdowns and you're consistently trying to play from behind. Well, when the Cardinals have the ability to run downhill with Chase Edmonds with a lead. They can mix up the RPO run pass option. Um, they, they have, you know, a slew of different play calls right now that Kingsbury seems to be pushing all the right buttons. And yes, they've got um, some, you know, inability to, to stretch the field based on the receiving core, but they're making the most of it. And it was a team win, no doubt about it, but it was probably the most impressive win considering how they did it based on the fact that, you know, Murray threw for 300-plus yards and three TDs against Atlanta. And then this week, it's their running back that goes off for a big day with three-plus rushing TDs. So um, it just shows you how how they are able to switch it up as needed, play early, play in the rain, and still come out with a victory. I, I was probably more impressed than I've been in, in several years with this team on Sunday. Yeah, it's a huge win because it shows that you have an identity that isn't set in stone in terms of on offense where Kyler was just overall, it felt like he was limited. The Giants, at least in the passing game, they were able to have consistent enough pressure and the receiving core, like we saw, was just not really not there. Now, I don't know as much as some people asked, is it like the size of his hands? Is it lack of separation? Is it protection? Like, what was the reason for everything? I think it was a little bit of all of the above. It was the first outdoor game on the road in the rain. And what we've seen with this team's identity is that it's been built around running the football for now to be able to help set up the pass. Mostly teams will work the other way around where they'll be able to, you know, pass the ball and that will be able to set up the run. That's what we've seen from this Cardinals team by being able to run the ball against light boxes it's part of cliff's air raid but what's great about this is that you get a massive performance from the running game some of those run plays were not just well designed but also well executed a huge block you could see from a guy like aq shipley and then also being able to see you know a few broken tackles um the red zone woes feel like a thing of the past what's ironic about that is cardinals didn't really even get into the red zone i think outside of one play the team scored from outside of the red zone. If that's the case, then that may be exactly what they needed. But the fact that you were able to win a game, not just with this offensive identity, but what we'll talk about here next, John, the defense had their explosion that we've been kind of waiting for. We even projected it a little bit to happen with the return of Patrick Peterson, but it probably wasn't what we expected. They had four sacks and a forced fumble from Chandler Jones, eight sacks on the day total their first interception of the year from Jordan Hicks. And then at the very end of the game, you had the uh, all-out cornerback blitz where, um, where Patrick Peterson just like a torpedo launched from a submarine, just hits Daniel Jones from the blind side, forces a fumble, 
uh, sack on the day, and essentially that seals it for the Cardinals. They only end up giving up 14 points on offense throughout the day. There was a special teams blocked uh, punt in the end zone. You can kind of credit that a little bit on, unfortunately, Kyler Murray and Chase Edmonds could have a bit of the blame. One for the bad sack Kyler took instead of tossing the ball away uh, in a game that really thrived on field position and avoiding turnovers uh, or giving up plays like that. And the second on Chase Edmonds, there was, it looked like a little bit of a mix-up on the punt block. But overall, considering how they played, um, it's not like it's a case, obviously, you were going to sink two of your probably most efficient players on offense. And I, I got to say, John, the amazing thing about Edmonds is that we've talked about some of the fit. We've also looked at how David Johnson has been such a threat in the passing game. When he was out, it just showed that their entire passing game just didn't feel like it was in sync the same way. Fortunately, they did not need it against a pretty bad Giants team that, like you even said, Daniel Jones, it was almost like you were begging to throw him the ball. And now you're talking about going from a team that was winless three weeks ago, and now you're back to 500. And that, for me, is probably the biggest uh, checkbox that you could put um, for Cliff Kingsbury and this resume right now because it's not like they've played teams that have been good. You, you look at the record. The Cardinals have three wins on the season. The teams that they've all played have a combined three wins on the season. That's how bad they've been between the Falcons, the Bengals, and the Giants. But by the you're, the fact you're able to beat those teams, unlike you know losses they suffered last year to a bad Raiders team, uh, losses that they would suffer to teams who are looking to get right like the, a bad Lions team, instead this year they're beating those teams, and that shows that they're no longer what many people had assumed, like a 2-14 and 14 or another 3-13 right. team. They've taken a step forward no matter what happens on this season, and that's very encouraging to most Cardinals fans because at this point when you start at the bottom, you know you're only really going to go up from here at that point. At least that's what you're expecting, and that's probably what's most encouraging is I don't know if even we expected that it would be this as far as being able to go out and put consistent offensive performances like this this quickly, and if you get the defense back in shape, it looks optimistic for the Cardinals moving forward to an extent. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, Blake, is you hit the nail on the head that the Cardinals are overcoming teams, number one, that they're not favored to beat. Yes, they're basement dwellers, but I think people with common sense around this team in the national media understand that a win is a win, number one, in the NFL, especially it cannot be you know, low played or underplayed the fact that you're doing it with a rookie head coach who's never coached in the NFL and a quarterback who is unconventional that has one year of starting experience at the collegiate level. On top of that, the Cardinals are beating teams that have pretty sizable salary cap um, heavy rosters in terms of the players that they've acquired, that they've traded for, that they've signed. You can make an argument the Cardinals are less talented than the Cincinnati Bengals, less talented certainly than the New York Giants and the Atlanta Falcons. Maybe the Bengals and the Cardinals are right there neck and neck, but the Falcons had Super Bowl aspirations before the beginning of this year. The Giants thought that they were going to bounce back after some, you know, some nice personnel moves in the offseason, trading Odell Beckham away for, for starters and draft picks um, and theoretically fixing that defense. The, the Cardinals right now, I think, you know, offensively, what can we say about them? They have no outside receiver. They have no number one receiver. The receivers right now with Christian Kirk being out can't separate, and yet they're moving the ball up and down at will. Their franchise rusher didn't play, so they plugged and played a fourth-round pick out of last year's draft. It was an afterthought, and he was the 
essentially the default offensive player of the week for this team and then Mm -hmm. probably in the National Football League in terms of running backs. Their offensive line is, before this season, a hodgepodge of free agent signings and one underperforming first-round tackle. And then defensively, they have zero impact defenders on on the line of scrimmage in terms of their left or right end or their nose tackle. I like Corey Peters. Nobody thinks he's, you know, an all pro player and their best free agent signing was arrested and and cut from the team. Their two inside linebackers uh, played better this week, but Reddick was a disappointment coming into the season. Philadelphia didn't want Jordan Hicks back. And then Patrick Peterson returns, but he is by far and away their most talented secondary player in a group of young players. I just ran it's, through. It's not the, a strong the, roster, yeah, but it, they're it's still not, and, they're, and they're rattling and off good. wins. And that yeah, that exactly. tells you that they're, number one, they're well coached because it's not all. I love Kyler Murray. It's quarterback can't do it by himself. Matt Ryan's a phenomenal quarterback, and and they're egregious right now because their head coach is inept. I think we experienced a lot of that last week, um, and so you know, at the end of the day, Blake, I, I think. Not enough attention has been given to Cliff Kingsbury. Everybody was quick to judge him as a fraudulent hire, that he didn't deserve this franchise's head coaching job, that he needed to pay his dues. And all he's done is he's taken a team that was historically bad offensively and the worst in, in the NFL, you know, roster-wise, personnel-wise, record-wise. He's turned them into a 500 team through seven weeks of the season and has made the offense that was 32nd but could have been 40th out of 40 teams uh, a top 10 offense, which is unbelievable, especially when you consider that they, they only really upgraded quarterback. It's it's unbelievable. I never would have thought this was likely. I thought at best, maybe midseason, they'd be hovering around, you know, 1920th, and I'd be excited about that. Just the, the maturation of Murray, this team's ability. I mean, they go when they want to and they're on. This team goes up and down the field on just about anybody. They did it against Seattle and Carolina. Two good defenses. Yes, they struggled in the red zone, but they moved the ball. They had big-time yard finishes. Now they're starting to put it all together. The running game, especially with Edmonds, it takes this offense to a new level. And once you get Kirk and David Johnson back, I, I think this team is only going to get better offensively. And again, I'll keep harping on this. The, the continuity up front on the offensive line, knock on wood, this is the same group that started from week one until now. And I don't care how talented they are. If you've got that same level of consistency week in and week out from Humphreys to Murray left to right, you're going to feel pretty good about what you've got. The Cardinals have gone from one of the worst offensive lines in the league to probably right now middle of the pack. And in the last two or three weeks, above average in terms of sacks allowed, they've given up, given up three sacks in three games. And then they are top 10 in, in rushing offense over that time. So I, I, what what more can you ask for from a group right now that really has answered the call? And I, kudos to them because they were the last group that I thought would be able to, to put together this kind of stretch. And I think, again, Sean Krugler and Cliff Kingsbury have everything to do with it, Blake. Yeah, the adaptation has been good to see from whether it's Kingsbury adapting his offense to the league or whether it's him just – being able to adapt to what the guys in the league are comfortable with. It's good to be able to see where a lot of what we've talked about with um, uh, previous Cardinals head coaches, whether there was stubbornness or uh, in some cases it was just more of a uh, unwillingness to change. Uh, Mike McCoy seems to come to mind in that regard. Um, Being in over your head is something that 
a lot of people assume would be the case for Cliff. And so far, even going back to the week one game, you really have to look at how he changed, adapted, and adjusted just from the fourth quarter into overtime. What we haven't seen, interestingly enough, is that same offense. And uh, what we have seen instead is really a team that is right now being held back uh, in effect by their defense to a degree. Now, Obviously, there were some star players that were back. While Evan Ingram was held to one catch for nine yards, um, Saquon Barkley had his touchdown. He was outgained on the day by Chase Edmonds. I think that's more of a function of not his talent, um, as joked about, but more of the overall offense and run game. And the fact that they got down pretty early to the Cardinals um, was also an aspect of them throwing the ball quite a bit more. I think the interesting observation that we can make from this is the uh, the fact that Chandler Jones finally had a breakout game. We've been wanting one of these this season. He's kind of had about one sack and force fumble per game. Here he actually wrecked up havoc for the most part, including a force fumble, but recovered one. Um, he set a career high for himself in sacks. And if you look at him right now, he's fifth in the league as far as for the pro football focus pass rush grade behind the likes of Aaron Donald, Miles Garrett, Clemac and J.J. Watt. Uh, obviously, there was a little bit of fuss about him being left off of the top 100 players list this past season. Um, that's what happens when you go 3-13, and 13, unfortunately. Uh, you do end up also seeing, for the most part, that Terrell Suggs had, I believe, the second-best defensive grade. And that's a step forward you'd love to see because, ultimately, um, the question we had coming into this game was, would Patrick Peterson and his addition allow the rest of the defense to do better? Uh, by taking away a read, taking away a player. And ultimately, what I think the biggest takeaway that I would see for the story is that the uh, you had a win for the first time, I guess you could probably even say all season. You had what I think you could call a true win on the defensive effort for Vance Joseph, his staff, and the players that the Cardinals have brought in. Like you had a uh, interception by Hicks, Suggs had a dominant game. You're also talking about um, the Cardinals being able to um, put out a defensive front where I believe Corey Peters and Rodney Gunter were able to get pressure as well. That was one of the moves that Steve Keim did in bringing Gunter back for another year. And I think what you're looking at moving forward is your hope is to see what this defense could become, um, as well as being able to find out how much of this game was a, you know, a part of a new trend, or if this is going to stand out as far as we get back next week and against the Saints and suddenly it's another 30 points on the board. There's no takeaways and you're seeing the tight ends at least getting uh, tons of yards upfield. John, do you think that this defense has turned a corner? Is it still a little early to say? Or do you think that this is kind of a spot of just recognizing, hey, it's a sloppy rain game and you're playing against a quarterback in Daniel Jones who quite honestly is in a really rough situation with the Giants where they were scrambling for a lot of answers there's a lot of questions coming Pat Shermer's way um, at the end of that game yeah I think what you have to understand is the Cardinals and you may think I'm crazy we're already playing solid situational defense coming into this game without Patrick Peterson they just let the wheels fall off in the second half and they got complacent against both Cincinnati and Atlanta um, but they had played both really nice complete first halves against both those teams and then didn't adjust, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, this game, they really put it all together and the Cardinals were able to lean on them in the fourth quarter. I, I think mostly because of the fact that the elements weren't great. It really helped them. I think people thought coming into this game, it would hurt the Cardinals. You, you've got this West coast team plays in a dome, but you really, I mean, Chase Edmonds was, was built to play in that kind of weather. Saquon Barkley was still hobbled. You saw him. He was not a hundred percent. 
Um, and then Daniel Jones, he can move a little bit, but he's not as athletic by any stretch to, compared to Kyler Murray. So the Cardinals were able to work the clock in the second half. And then the defense, especially when they were able to stop Barkley on first and second down, could really pin their ears back on third down and, and go after Daniel Jones. Chandler Jones had had his best game probably as a Cardinal, four sacks, a forced fumble, only the fourth or fifth player to do that since 2000. Um, and, and so I, I was impressed. I thought that, you know, the, the first quarter interception really set the tone. Um, yeah, this offense right now, as long as they're putting pressure on the opposing defenses and, and controlling the clock like they did in this game, especially in the first half, the Cardinal defense is going to be able to pick its spots. Um, and what we can't have happen is a repeat of the Carolina game where they can't get off the field and you're right. going to ask Kyler Murray to score seemingly on every drive. They played really nice complimentary football and they won the game for you at the end. They made two critical stops um, following uh, that three and either the three and out or the, the really the conservative uh, series by Kingsbury where you lost yardage mm-hmm. three consecutive plays after the Chase Edmonds uh, long draw for the conversion on first down. Right. Um, the, the defense responded with a three and out, or excuse me, it was a, essentially a four and out because um, Pat Shermer inexplicably went for it on fourth down, gave it back to the Cardinal offense that didn't do anything, kicked a field goal. And I thought at that point, oh man, you know, w- what did we do? And then Daniel Jones proceeds to basically vomit all over himself. And he was, just, I, I think if that game had gone on another five minutes, he, he was asking for another pick or a, or a fumble. So, um, the Cardinals had their best game of the season defensively. Their pass rush was what I think they had hoped it would be before the start of the season. Suggs and Jones, you know, give them credit. Brooks Reed looked really good in, in a you know rotational role. And then Corey Peters, again, at the age of I think 30 or 31, is playing his best football of his career. So kudos to him. But, you know, Patrick Peterson comes back and is just – that that unit, the, the defensive backs for the Cardinals just were so starved for his leadership. And I know Buda Baker's in his third year, but he's also under his third consecutive defensive coordinator. Peterson has mm-hmm. has seen it all in this league. And guys like Deontay Thompson and you know, I know Tr- Trumaine Brock's an older player, but Byron Murphy and, and Kevin Peterson, some of these younger guys. They need Trevor Williams. They need Patrick Peterson, and they they are starved for leadership in the back end by an all-pro, and that's what you're getting. And you're also getting Patrick Peterson, I think, in man coverage, did not allow a reception on him. Mm-hmm. And then it just it gives the Cardinals that ability to put him on the best receiving option, no matter the player. And then you've got the ascending, <clears throat> the ascending young player in Byron Murphy that can take the number two after going on the number one for the last six weeks. And it's just a trickle-down effect that the Cardinals just didn't have the first couple of weeks. And you can see that, yes, some of the sacks that were gotten by the front seven were bull rushes, were, you know, were effort sacks. Uh, were but Daniel Jones holding on were, to the ball were, very, Yeah, very but some long. of them were coverage yeah. sacks, Blake. Yeah. And that's that's a testament to this back seven. That's a testament to Peterson's return. So I don't think – yes, I think that the, the fact that they – um, didn't the Giants weren't super productive that fourth quarter had a lot to do with the elements. I think that the Cardinals playing their best game of the season defensively, when you talk about the return of Barkley and Evan Ingram, coincides with the, with the return of Peterson. I think he made that much of a difference, and we thought so before the game because we've seen this defense, even without Peterson, um, play solid for like two and a half quarters and then fall apart. Maybe Peterson is what they needed to be able to bring it home and win it for the team, or at least, you know, for a week or so. 
Yeah, and I appreciated Kingsbury after the game when he handed out the game balls. He made sure that Peterson got the first one. Now, I, and I said this, if it had been me, I would have gone Chase and then Chandler and then like congratulated Peterson on being back just because of looking at the game efforts. But he, even though Peterson didn't have like, uh, he had a huge sack obviously at the end of the game that kind of sealed it. It seemed like it was a case of if Peterson does stick around with the Cardinals, you get the feeling that he's not going to be um, viewed, I guess, the same. He's not, he's going to be a, I guess players coach isn't maybe the right word, but I feel I get the feeling that he's going to be able to help manage some of that personalities better versus maybe a straightforward, no nonsense coach. Because I think there's guys where you earn respect. There's guys who demand respect and I think that with Kingsbury, it's been a case of where the last three weeks, um, he came in where there's no nonsense, uh, very different from the no nonsense head coach, but it wasn't that he was just, you know, saying he couldn't handle it. He just said, hey, we'll just treat them like men. Here's how it goes. We'll move this forward. And Peterson, to that regard at least, uh, I think it gave them a leg up um, as far as being able to go in. And then over the last three weeks, you're starting to see also that, hey, you got some of yours, you got some of yours for all of this one. Make sure that the kid gets his due. It just gave you the impression that he's at least good at managing people. And that's something that was really questioned about was, can Kingsbury be a leader of men? You know that he's a smart, brilliant guy. Is he able to be a leader of men? And some of that has come into shape a bit more, I think, over the past three weeks, where obviously it's still year one, jury's still going to be out. Um, but the team went through some struggles. They were able to overcome some of them. And it wasn't like he was obviously going crazy or losing his mind either over, you know, having three in a row. It was just a case of, hey, this is a good job. And hopefully that will be more of the case moving forward. I did want to talk about some of the situations we had. I know you mentioned with conservative Kingsbury earlier, the turning point to the game with the Cardinals that was most interesting was they went up 17-0 uh, essentially through the first quarter. They get into the uh, second quarter and the end of, I think it was 14-0, second quarter, kick a 47-yard field goal. And then you kind of see just a little bit of a meltdown over the next consecutive two drives where the Saquon Barkley had a big play for about a 20-yard gain or so. And then you had an incomplete deep pass where they called um, a penalty on Corey Peters offsides for five yards. And then you ended up looking at kind of another 20-yard gain to Golden Tate that led to a Rhett Ellison touchdown pass and then you look at that very next sequence was essentially a three and out the cardinals take over the ball and you're looking at kingsbury as far as even though you're only up by at this point 10 points you're still within you know striking distance uh saquon is a home run threat at all times kind of had a short pass left murray scrambled to the left end for about five yards and then there was the big sack that set you up at the arizona four yard line Michael Thomas comes in, blocks the punt, and suddenly it's now 17-14 Cardinals. They end up punting the ball back to the Giants after driving down pretty much very close to where they were in field goal formation. And then you had kind of a shoot-yourself-in-the-foot-again moment. Josh Miles is called for a false start, moves them out of field goal range, so they punt, and the punt rolls into the end zone. So you're talking about a Cardinals team that essentially kept handing the Giants opportunities to get back into the game and the story of the game for me is how the defense was able to hold and the Giants weren't able to really take advantage of them. on the very next series Giants are only down by three points they drive into the Arizona um, 49 yard line they end up having an offensive holding penalty I believe was drawn on I think it was I have to look at I believe it was Terrell Suggs um, end up looking at them they end up having a few short passes that was short of the um, sticks 
And then when the two-minute warning took over, they gave it back to Arizona. And then interestingly enough, Arizona chooses to not really go for it. They for the essentially end up kind of kneeing the, the ball out <laughs> uh, for the end of the uh, end of the end of the half after the Giants give it back to them decide not to go for it and it seems to me that the rain had a big deal with it so the next time that they head as far as for a big change would have been obviously still talking about a three-point game the sack fumble by Chandler Jones recovered in uh, I believe midfield essentially Cardinals then followed up with three plays essentially three run plays that's all it took you were at you had you got 50 yards and three run plays Chase Edmonds picks up three yards. Kyler Murray scrambles for 11 yards right up the middle and gets hit with the, uh, I believe, Lorenzo Carter tackling him. Um, essentially, you just don't hit the quarterback's head when he's big on the slide. Adds 15 more yards on. Chase Edmonds immediately after that goes for the rush. At that point, that was when we saw Cliff Kingsbury get conservative. You're then talking about, essentially, you get pick up one first down, you punt. Pick up another first down, you punt. After another, you pick up a... Field goal, essentially, after another fumble. Uh, I believe this one was the sack fumble from Patrick Peter. Was this the Patrick Peterson one? Yes. That was the one that ended it with probably about, uh, what I want to say, like about four or five minutes left, I think, at least, where the Cardinals then were able to kick that field goal. But what we saw was essentially the defense, in a lot of ways, John, carried the offense. And to me, that's something we haven't seen so far this whole season. What do you expect from the defense moving forward considering the Cardinals' schedules? We kind of wrap up talking about this New York uh, victory that the Cardinals were able to gain in the Big Apple. Well, I think you could you could argue they're going to be improved, but it may not show on the scoreboard. I, I think that they've got some some tough tasks ahead of them, including this weekend against the New Orleans Saints in the Superdome. They play Kyle Shanahan twice in the next month. They get the Rams twice, of course. They play Seattle at Seattle, and then they play two talented teams in the Steelers and the Browns, albeit without big Ben Roethlisberger. So I I think we could see the defense improve from, you know, a schematic standpoint, but at the same time, you know, this is the NFL and the Cardinals. We always knew that the first probably five to six weeks of the season before the bye were going to be their best chance to win a handful of games. And to to their credit, they've done that. Um, But you know, at the same time, I think that if they can continue to play, again, bend but not break, situational defense, we're not asking them to pitch shutouts by any means, but just keep your offense in a position. And I think what they will improve on, Blake, is their ability to force turnovers with Peterson back. I think, you know, that that extra half second to two seconds that he gives you covering the, the opposing team's top receiving threat will hopefully give the offense an ability to, to be more successful rushing the passer, which could lead, of course, to more turnovers, fumbles, and interceptions. So with that being said, you could see the Cardinals uh, benefiting big time from there. But I don't, you know, I, I think they're probably bottom three. I know they are the, in the bottom third tier in the NFL defensively. I don't see them jumping up, you know, to a top 20 unit anytime soon. I just don't think they have the bodies. Mm-hmm. But I think they could continue to, you know, if, if they pitch a you know first quarter shutout, I think that goes a long way because the Cardinals right now offensively are starting fast and playing with a lead is a huge benefit, especially for a young player like Kyler Murray. So, you know, I, I, I get the criticism of Vance Joseph, and I think he, you know, for the most part answered the bell this weekend against a tough opponent on the road against a team like the New York Giants who got back there, again, their two best players offensively. And he shut them down for 14 points. So I think it's, you know, we're, we're on him consistently every week. Let's let's give credit where credit's due, and let's see if he can build off of that. And as far as yeah. his future with the team, 
why don't we see where this team is around mid to late November defensively after you've gone through a couple tough opponents offensively? Let's play the Niners twice and see how this team responds. Um, it may look a little bit different than you would have thought uh, initially. So uh, I'm impressed with what I've seen over the course of really the last couple weeks. Again, I know that they had uh, blunders and breakdowns against the Bengals and the Falcons, but they also played well enough early on in that game to allow the Cardinals to jump out to sizable leads. They, If they had, if this was the defense from 2016 when you've got Calais Campbell and you've got Tony Jefferson and you've got you know a slew of really uh, Tyron Matthew, a slew of really quality players defensively, um, who all went on to get nice contracts, elite contracts in the NFL, and you were underperforming like that team did for much of that season, I would be much more critical of the coaching. But when you talk about trying to implement at least three rookies in your secondary, and you're missing quality depth and talent on your defensive line, yeah, the linebackers are talented, and they're probably pay- playing the best of the group right now. So. I think that we need to take everything with this team into context, whereas I'm sure people from the outside looking in are just looking at the Cardinals' defense as you know, one big dumpster fire. But I, I like to do, and I know you do too, Blake, a little bit more of a deep dive and look at not necessarily um, their rankings defensively, but in-game wins where this team will improve. You know, They shut down a tight end this week, and they hadn't done that for a little while. Um, and so that now I know they gave up the touchdown, but you know, Evan Ingram didn't go off. That's, that's a small victory. Saquon Barkley didn't go off. That's a small victory. So build upon these and you, you continue the, the maturation process of a Deontay Thompson. Hopefully you get Zach Allen back soon. Hopefully Hassan Reddick and, and, and Jordan Hicks uh, prove enough this year that you're able to roll with them come 2020. I mean, those are the kind of things we need to be hoping for. And then you, you introduce new players at key positions next year and the year after, and you can talk about a top defense. So um, I think the story of the season is and will always be the offense. Um, and if the defense just plays like they did this past weekend, I think they're going to win some more games, and, and that's exciting, Blake. Yeah, anytime you get an eight-sack game and uh, basically two forced fumbles and an interception, you'd hope you'd be able to win that game, obviously. Um it's just been a rough start for the defense. It was good to have a win there for Vance Joseph. And as I said, I've not – I've seen – there's questions. I know we've talked about how off the air, some of how the Cardinals are probably going to need a, a true center fielder in the middle of the field. They just don't seem to either have that guy. I still have doubts about maybe it is just some of the way that Joseph is seeming to play his guys pretty far back. There was even some off-or-zone coverage we did see from Patrick Peterson. You know, you'd prefer to have him be – where he can hunt right off of the line to playing press man he's excited to do that right but, like Blake if yeah. this team had Derwin James and they oh, didn't yeah. take let's say they didn't take Josh Rosen they took Derwin James and they and were out tanks, of position well. and getting <laughs> and getting torched by a tight end every week then you'd have a reason to complain but to your point just now they don't have right. that rangy free safety that they need they're going to probably get one but let's hold off on a lot of the criticisms until they get those caliber players yeah, and I think that's where the rest of the season, especially when you're talking about a Niners offense that's looking good that just went and acquired. That's what uh, part of the uh, kind of free agent fr- or I should say trading frenzy that went around. 
Uh, it, it's a good measurement for the team. It's a step forward. Obviously, this year is, for the most part, an evaluation year for the rest of the team as much as it is a growth year for Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, before we move on to uh, just do a quick look around some of the NFL landscape as we wrap up um, tonight's, uh, or today I should say's episode, um, John, what were some of your thoughts on conservative Cliff in the second half? Because there's a part of me that felt like just watching the Giants, they just weren't going to be able to kind of make it back in that game late with some of how you felt in that second half, but you also didn't see the Cardinals really put the gas pedal on or finish them up until that final Patrick Peterson sack where they were able to take over the ball essentially right. in Giants territory. What were your thoughts on the conservatism? And there's been questions about how much of this is Kingsbury figuring himself out, seeing Murray out, knowing he's got a rookie quarterback, uh, a lot of a new offense for players. How much of this do you think is – either cause for concern that potentially, you know, this the last couple of weeks in a row, he hasn't really put down the gas pedal in the second half versus, hey, how much of this is just uh, part of who Cliff is for the most part? What are your thoughts on some of that? Yeah, I think that, again, I I was never critical of Kingsbury in the red zone from a conservative standpoint early on in this season. I think this was the first time all season where I saw conservative Cliff Kingsbury but again, I, I can't take too much from it because of the conditions that we saw. And then you could make an argument on the flip side. Daniel Jones was asked to drop back and pass. Goodness, I, I don't know how many times, 35 plus times in this game. And he did not look comfortable at all. Yeah. And I think that you can make the argument like the, the smarter team's going to run the ball in this scenario, whether you've got, you know, Kyler Murray or, or Tom Brady. I mean, I just... With the state of the, the Cardinals offensive line, which it has improved, but you just don't want to be taking those unnecessary risks. When you think about this, Blake, the Cardinals don't have an outside receiver to speak of right now. They tried bringing in Michael Crabtree. That didn't work out. Christian Kirk's been injured. And now your best receiving back and probably the best receiving back in all of football is not playing. So you've, you're missing those, you know, in, the, the, those those capable players. Larry Fitzgerald's great, but he's an underneath receiver, and Demir Bird's probably relegated to, you know, special teams because he's not separating on, you know, the the field with the with the conditions. I mean, you're just you don't have the kind of horses to be able to to move the ball downfield and drive the ball in this kind of condition. And so what you saw were a lot of not backward passes, but passes at the line of scrimmage, a lot of screens. Um, a lot of underneath throws, a lot of safe throws. And at the end of the day, it was effective. The, they won the game. He put the belief in his defense to win the game. Had the Cardinals lost and they had given up two touchdowns to end the game or whatever, then you can be critical of Cliff Kingsbury. You cannot be critical when the when the I mean you can do whatever you want but just in yeah, my I was gonna say, opinion, you you can be critical right. for that it's just if you're going to be critical for all those things remember it's always still going to be with a grain of salt it's like right. criticizing won, Kyler Murray for a 100 game. yard game yeah absolutely <laughs> and, and and think about how the the second half started right so they they forced a three and out by the Giants after the Giants had a lot of the momentum after the first half the Cardinals came out and tried to throw immediately uh, with with Kyler Murray and DJ Humphreys on a run play after Murray's pass, he got an offensive holding call. So n right away they're backed up because of Humphreys' holding call. So they get conservative on second and twenty, third and fifteen when the rain really starts to go down. Okay, so that drive is a bust. But then they get the big strip sack from Chandler Jones, and then they score a touchdown on the next next drive. After this point. Giants miss a field goal. The Cardinals get the ball back. This is where you really saw them get super conservative um, as we you know, entered the fourth quarter. This is where you can criticize Cliff if you want. But again, 
you know, I, Daniel Jones was making a couple nice throws here and there, but again, he was really most of the time getting his yardage running the football. I think he had a couple um, breakaway runs that were especially in the fourth quarter that, that allowed them to continue to move the chains. Um, and also Golden Tate had a nice second half, as did a couple checkdowns to Benny Fowler. So the, the Cardinals did what they needed to do to win. Um, I have no problem with it. I don't think we're going to see it again. I think people who are overreacting to it need to, you know, take a look in the mirror and just say, okay, like how often are they going to play games like this? Number one, when they're, you usually get like one or two of these games a year at max, right? With these conditions. And then you combine that with the lack of like quality personnel to be able to, you know, stretch the field offensively. I, this isn't this isn't this game's in terms of what they've done. In my opinion, it's an anomaly. I don't think it's going to happen again. I think we're going to see Kyler Murray in the Superdome this weekend. I think he's going to throw 30 plus times, and we're going to see the offense that we saw two weeks ago against Atlanta. I think Cliff was playing conservative because he watched um, the Giants miss field goals. Um, Daniel Jones let the ball slip out of his hands. I think he's fumbled at least three times. He's probably just like, I'm protecting my quarterback. We're running the ball effectively. Chase Edmonds has broken t- three long touchdowns. What's to say he can't break another one? So, I, yeah. again, I think I think it's a non-story and a, a non-factor moving forward. And, yeah. and the Cardinals got the victory. And, they, again, they put up 27 points for people who were being critical of the conservative. That would have been their second highest total from last year. I think they scored 28 in one game. And we're mm-hmm. acting like, you know, the standards clearly have been raised, which is a good thing. But remember what this team looked like, you know, one calendar year ago. We would have killed for 27 points. Yeah, they, uh, I think it's been more of a concern about the defense letting teams back in. Fortunately, they did not uh, with this game today. They're able to put the Giants away. And even though the Giants still had a essentially a chance to be able to go down the field, score a touchdown, um, the only kind of critique I saw a lot of people had in the end was Kyler Murray um, avoiding a hit running out of bounds and then just throwing his head back and discuss like, oh, realizing that he'd caused the clock to stop as a result, didn't go down. It was just a situational type of we've seen those rookie mistakes before and we've also see him, uh, seen him, I should say, move on from those rookie mistakes, which is fun. Um, let's talk a bit about some of the around the NFL as we kind of wrap up tonight's show. The biggest changes we've seen overall have been within the NFC West, but we'll start with the Arizona Cardinals where you saw reports of running back Jay Ajayi, who tore his ACL last year, has had considerable knee problems um, that was part of his draft stock. And then you saw a backup running back in Spencer Ware. Both of them worked out today. Um, one got signed, and it wasn't either of those two. It ended up being Alfred Morris, who was the former Redskin and Cowboys running back, also spent time with the San Francisco 49ers. And um, speaking at least of running backs, the uh, other piece of news that was interesting today, and I'll get your thoughts on this real quick, John, was the uh, Matthew Berry's epic Cardinals rant that he had about David Johnson essentially um, getting hurt. And, And when you're talking about a guy who's maybe one of the most important pieces of your passing game, uh, whereas you obviously are seeing Chase Edmonds as your main uh, rushing component who also can catch the ball out of the backfield. You're talking about um, a guy who went on a rant essentially for uh, almost about four to five minutes, and there was a second rant uh, about with the Cardinals social media saying, hey, you should, guys should have started Chase Edmonds in fantasy. A lot of Cardinals fans were kind of saying, hey, you guys got to pay attention to the signs. I think a lot of regular People who just follow fantasy football for the most part seem to take some sort of offense to it. Right. Alfred Morris is notable because he's the running back that kind of had Matthew Berry's first, I should say, viral blow up where he needed one point. Morris ends up having his one 10 yard run for the day, 
called back on a penalty and that's the only touch he got he loses a matchup and ends up being one of those like classic stories for the people who love and play fantasy football uh, it feels like in that case it's almost a trolling move <laughs> would be what some people said even Barry pointed that out I had two takeaways on that one was it's fun to see someone care about something having to do with the Cardinals because they yeah. weren't fantasy relevant at all last year outside of David Johnson finishing as what running back 18 or something where he still somehow ended up with almost a thousand total yards of offense somehow and about nine touchdowns just to see the Cardinals be relevant enough in that regard is great and secondly it was a uh, I guess you could at least put it as it was a sign of that's where people are caring about as a storyline versus you know the awesome story of Chase Edmonds as a fourth round pick coming up it was just an interesting type of change I guess for the Cardinals to be able to essentially say hey we think that David Johnson is important to us in this game that we don't want to or have to play him they're doing right by the player I know in the past that was something that we even criticized Bruce Arians for of kind of wanting to be guys to gut it out and play it through it was just a different approach I preferred honestly that approach because I don't think that you needed David Johnson for the Giants game you may we'll see how his status is obviously coming up this week as far as practices but We'll definitely see, I think, that you would need him against a team like the Saints. But what are some of your thoughts right now, John, on the signing of Alfred Morris? Do you think this is going to be anything more than kind of an emergency, a goal line back? I don't know if he's going to play special teams or replace that impact that uh, other running back DJ Foster would have. But what were some of your thoughts on what Cardinals fans, maybe even some of those fantasy fans like Matthew Berry, could expect from Morris? I think minimal. I think that he is... Uh... Uh, you know, John Gambadaro tweeted out this afternoon that they've added him for depth purely. He may not even play for the team. Excuse me. He may not even play for the team. Um, but, of course, of the players that they brought in, I guess he looked the best health-wise. And they wanted some experience, which is understandable. Um, I don't think the injury to, to David is long-term. I think it's more of kind of a week-to-week thing. I don't even think we're talking about a Christian Kirk scenario. Um, and so I think it could be a two to three week thing, probably max. Um, and I think, again, you're, you're counting on Chase Edmonds, who's really never carried the rock consistently. He hasn't at the NFL level. And so if you're going to saddle him with, and they, they very well could, 20 plus carries, 30 touches a game, you're going to want something, you know, you're, you're going to want somebody to be able to spell him. And DJ Foster being out is unfortunate for him because this is really his opportunity now to be able to, to, do something for this team offensively while while the other DJ is on the shelf. So I, I think it's much to do about nothing, as is the the Matthew Berry scenario. Like you mentioned, Blake, it's good publicity for the team. I think that um, the Cardinals need to this good mojo to, from a national perspective to come back. And I know this wasn't positive press, but I don't. You know, the old, old adage is you know no no press is bad press or whatever. All press is good press. I think is that. So I think the Cardinals are more relevant than they have been. I think it's the Murray Kingsbury effect. And uh, again, you know, at the end of the day, the Cardinals won the game against the giants and that's really all anybody should care about. And they made um, Daniel Jones look horrific in the process. Murray, I know didn't go off, but you know, is, is three and in the last three weeks. I mean, that, that's all I care about, and so yeah. um, we can we can let other people you know hoot and holler, but as long as the Cardinals are on the airwaves, um, that means that they're for the most part pointing in the right direction. Yeah, I, you would love to be able to see the. Um, uh, I, 
I guess you could say a lot of fans even seem to have almost this us against the world type of defense of the team, especially since a lot of those Cardinals fans, I believe, were players who did actually start Chase Edmonds in their fantasy lineups for the most part um, during those games. So uh, I think that's one of the things I'd hope that the team would embrace moving forward, because as we've talked about, John, this isn't really a huge market as far as with large size of the Phoenix Valley, but as far as for fans and Arizona being a transplant state where everyone's from someplace else essentially just when you're a new team that's only been around since 1988 and you're a new uh much newer place compared to you know some places in new york you're talking about you know hundreds of years that people have been in those type of areas so uh, a little bit of action in the nfc west as we kind of tie off tonight the uh the 49ers essentially make a trade for give up a second round pick for emmanuel sanders from the denver broncos a 32 year old wide receiver who is a free agent at the end of the year they were for the most part just kind of throwing guys at the position a lot of mid-round picks a lot of kind of wide receiver twos or threes he's going to be a number one target you would assume for jimmy garoppolo as they uh, take an undefeated record in and try to make a huge playoff uh, i don't know if you can say super bowl just yet as far as the push you'll have to see how they play against um, some of the tougher teams like the seattle seahawks i know they go up against the carolina panthers that defense this week um, we also had another move in the nfc west which we didn't get as much of a chance to talk about the trade of marcus peters away from the st louis rams they do make the trade for jalen ramsey uh, interestingly enough the uh, trade has kind of made the rams have no first round picks all the way up through 2021 two first rounders were going up for him uh, later this week with our next podcast we'll talk a little bit as far as some of just that trade discussion with the team. The uh, other one that you'll look at that just kind of came down late, earlier, I should say today, um, the Seahawks end up uh, trading, uh, you know, they traded a third rounder, I believe, to the Texans. Texans end up trading that for uh, cornerback and Gary M. Conley. The Seahawks trade a fifth round pick and end up landing uh, Quandry Diggs, who the Cardinals have seen before from the Detroit Lions. Uh, safety who is versatile enough to be able to play in the box and the nickel, uh, he's not purely a nickel uh, safety or nickel corner, I should say, but it adds a defensive piece to their team where essentially you're seeing all of these teams in the NFC West are making trades, loading up. Cardinals, meanwhile, are signing a backup uh, running back, and that just shows you where this team is. Not to say that fans should be disappointed or fans should be demanding for them to make a huge splash, John, but what are some of your thoughts on how the division essentially has changed? It seems like obviously the biggest change that has occurred is the addition of a number one shutdown corner uh, in Jalen Ramsey to the division that already had a Patrick Peterson um, that just came back to the Cardinal sideline. I think the Rams are going to be pretty top heavy for the next, what, four to five years at least. Mm -hmm. And I think that they did not solve uh, the kind of concerns that they've had throughout the majority of the season. Um, I still yeah, believe the in, offensive in, line. Is, yeah. Uh, eh. They're paying big money to Gurley, who looks, you know, compromised to say the least. They're Austin paying number Gordon's, one receiver money yeah. to Brandon Cooks, who's not a number one. I mean, they, they've got their own issues. I, I think that for the first time in a long time, they're beatable for this Cardinal team. I wouldn't be surprised if the Cardinals got them either in in Phoenix or in LA. Um, I think the we'll the see. biggest <laughs> the biggest team that you have to concern yourself with is the San Francisco 49ers, just from a roster standpoint, their roster right now is the best in the division. It might be the best in the NFC. 
And again, they went through a rebuild, a lengthy rebuild. They haven't made the playoffs since um, 20, I believe it was 2013 with Jim Harbaugh. Um, so they've had a lot of time to stew over that and right. accumulate draft picks. Listen, Russell Wilson, as long as he's with the Seahawks, he's going to make them relevant. But we saw a, a player very similar to Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson go in and take it to that Seahawks team over the weekend. So, I, again, I think to your point, Blake, these teams this year, they're going for it. They want to make the playoffs. Some of them have you know Super Bowl aspirations. Cardinals are just biding their time. They have resources and in terms of draft picks, high draft picks, you would think, mm-hmm. and money coming off the books this offseason to really be able to make a push and take advantage of Kyler Murray's rookie deal. And he is the only one within the division that's going to be on a rookie contract, assuming that the Niners stick with Jimmy G and his big-time salary. Of course, Goff was paid this past offseason, and Wilson is the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL. Um, and so, you know, to me, it's very much like, hey, whatever you get this year, that's great to build on. The next couple of years are going to be your your window, and maybe these teams know that. Maybe these teams – I like the sense of urgency. I hope whomever is operating as GM, whether it's Kime or whomever, in the in the coming years have has the same kind of sense of urgency – um, and I don't know if we're going to talk about this later in the week, Blake, but I just I get a lot of DMs, not a ton, but some from people who listen and inter- we interact with on on Twitter. Right. What we're hearing in terms of the Cardinal trade wins um, now that they're winning, um, I think we can put to bed the Patrick Peterson trade scenario, especially now that this team's won three straight. I thought it would be in their best interest. I still do, but I, I get that they're not going to do that now. But in terms of acquiring players, um, I don't think the Cardinals are in position to do that. And now when you see the likes of, you know, I had talked about Mohamed Sanu as somebody who the Cardinals should have looked at this past offseason into this season. Hmm. When the New England Patriots kind of skew that market with a second round pick, that takes the Cardinals out of a receiver market. um, And that's going to pick up. I think the Cardinals are in a position now their offensive line is stable. They're not going to trade for a tackle or a guard or whatever. I think the only really position you could look at is maybe defensive line. But again, like that would only be a, in a scenario in which you wanted to maybe get a, a jump start and free agency on like Leonard Williams. And you wanted to trade away a day three pick to get him in the building to see if he'd be a good fit. But I, I think the Cardinals are going to roll with what they have. I think they should. I think they've got players like Christian Kirk returning. That's going to provide a big boost at some point. And then off season 2020, you're going to be able to make, out-of-season, in-season trades to, to help this team. But right now, it's just, unfortunately, I, I want to get excited. I want to talk about players that they could acquire, but it just it doesn't fit with what they're doing right now. Plus, I think they only have like $4 million in cap space. So they're just kind of handcuffed by that and their resources until the offseason, which, you know, this team's winning right now despite talent. Let's see, you know, how many more they can rattle off. Absolutely. Well, that'll wrap it up for tonight's episode here of the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, Thank you all again for tuning in and uh, listening to us as always. Uh, We are going to be located, if you are checking out podcasts, anywhere from Apple Podcasts to Spotify, Google Play Podcasts. Um, You can look for us also on TuneIn Radio uh, at revengeofthebirds.com is where you'll be able to find the podcast as well as the at ROTB pod. We do follow back on that account, so make sure that you are following us you can always use ask rotb pod to ask questions uh john where can the listeners of this podcast if they want to follow up with some of your content you had an awesome article summing that up uh i believe it was sunday after the game where can they find you on oh, twitter again appreciate it brother uh, i am at johnny touchdown on twitter and then of course contributor on uh, revenge of the birds.com i try to do a weekly or a, a game recap 
shortly after uh, Sunday's kickoff and conclusion. So hopefully have one again following the Saints game this weekend. Uh, thank you all for joining us, Blake. Back to you. Yeah, and you'll be able to find me and follow at Blake Murphy 7 as well. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a good one, everyone. We'll see you back with our next episode. We'll be previewing the Saints game upcoming as well as looking at a little bit more of as far as with the trade uh, potential for the Cardinals with that trade deadline coming up. Should they make a move? Should they not? That will be coming up later this week. Thanks again for tuning in. Go Cardinals.